talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing Our show where we take a look back at the seminal work The West Wing here in 2021 now from a more leftist socialist perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And this episode is entitled Constituency of One, which in another inelegant move they actually name drop in the episode. And I always find it <laughs> slightly inelegant when they do that. There's there's more elegant ways of doing it than not, but it, it, that's neither here nor there. Uh, this episode starts off with... Um, Pre- Vice President uh, Bingo Bob Russell pitching an idea to Will Bailey to come be director com- communications director for him, for the VP, instead of being deputy communications director for the president. And this this will go on throughout the episode, but I do want to say I liked the cold open scene. It sets mm-hmm. up like a good level of intrigue and drama, uh, and then the rest of the episode goes on to completely <laughs> squander that potential for <laughs> well, the most just- part. So, and Bingo Bob, uh, Gary Cole is... Doing very, good work. Yeah, he's very, very talented. He does great work in the show. It also, the the use of him is an interesting dramatic choice because you are expecting less. I mean, you're set up to expect less out of the VP because he's just the VP. You know, they spend all this time saying explicitly, oh, well, it's the vice president. He just blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But... By doing that, they sort of subtly hint that whenever he's involved or given screen time, something wild and wacky is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. turns out it does. Yeah, yeah, he is a he is sort of a chaotic force uh, thrown into the uh, the status quo of the show, and uh, and yeah, in this episode it ends up moving uh, Will's job around. Uh, with all the repercussions of that. But before we get to that, the main sort of hook of this episode, I guess, uh, it kind of has like five or six different kind of subplots. And that's, that none, yeah, that's typical these n- days. Uh, yeah, none of them being the main one. Like, uh, say this about the Zoe arc, at least there was a focus on what, what mattered. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the main quote-unquote plot arc of this episode involves a conservative Democratic senator from Idaho putting a hold on military promotions of all things which first off <laughs> sure yeah that yeah. that's the yeah, that's right. the thing you're going to pick to uh <laughs> to hold up uh which is of course ends up being the downfall of it when it leaks out that he's the one doing the anonymous hold on it um but yeah he decides to pick a fight on because he's mad about i don't know something because appro- he's a cons- Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm going to say it's, there's an appropriations bill that is being voted right. a, a massive appropriations Stimu- bill. Stimulus bill, yes. That is being voted on, and his pet military project Correct. is not being funded. The one he wanted from seven years ago, which is like some missile defense system that doesn't fucking work. Um, <laughs> which the best jo- thing. <laughs> which is, of course, the best part, yes. And, of course, Josh gets all like morally upset about that. Meanwhile, Josh is like writing f-35 authorization forms in the background when he goes back to his desk and at this time it's like oh yeah no problem we're just gonna like um trade pallets of cash to the afghani uh militias that we want to fund no problem right and sell them sell them some tags and and, and whatnot (laughs) um make sure that we pay for our bases all that good stuff 
<laughs> yeah, so, but he, so he gets all morally offended about, like, you want to fund this boondoggle project that doesn't even work? It's like, but it'll give me jobs in Idaho. And it, it goes back to, like, pork barrel and, and earmark spending, because this is a West Wing show that operates in a pre-earmark banning world. Yeah, and I did a little bit of research before the show and asked Emma about how it worked, but basically um, the 110th Congress that sat between... January 07 and January 09 put a shitload of hurt on what is a procedural, I mean, I guess amounts to a procedural thing in legislation where you can just write in X dollars for X project in X district. And it's obviously much more complicated than that. But the point of what we're kind of leaning towards here is that since 2009, that process and procedure has largely been unavailable to individual mm-hmm. legislators. And frankly, in my opinion, and I've read a lot of other people who wrote about it, has contributed greatly towards the general moribund nature of yeah. the federal government, this ban. The massive, the massive gridlock that even for Congress has gotten completely out of control, where all we can do these days is pass like one big bill a year and then spend the rest of the time renaming post offices and declaring <laughs> things uh, uh, quesadillas week yeah exactly <laughs> happy this, this week happy celebrates natural. yeah the wonderful latin x invention of the quesadilla <laughs> it's like happy national fence post day everybody cool <laughs> so so yeah go, go ahead. ahead okay uh the yeah so the guy who is played by um tom scarrett who uh, most people may know as Top Gun instructor Viper from uh, from Top Gun. That's certainly where I knew him from. He's uh, got a delightful, delightful mustache going on in this episode. Uh, so he's our Idaho conservative senator, and he's playing the White House hard on this because he wants his military boondoggle funded. And so Josh decides to deal with it by leaking to the press that, hey, this guy's holding up military promotions. He's fucking with the troops. And he's and like, well, that's not going to play well in Idaho. And uh, and so that gets him to uh, to bend back on it. But then he, right before the episode's over, he meets with Josh. and He's like, all right, fine. I'll fucking vote your way and, and release the hold and, and let the government keep going and, and stop doing my stink. But... Uh, the next time I go and run for re-election, I'm running as a Republican. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Owned. And Josh sits there freaking out like, wait, no, we need Idaho. We need the Senate. Like, what wh- wh- what are you doing? How, and he's like, later, bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really great. And then, and-, and then the only great moment in the episode happens like 20 seconds thereafter where like gut, gut punch and and stumbling and like slack jawed, he he opens the door into his surprise birthday party where the president's <laughs> there and everyone's there, and like that's the only great moment in this awful episode. Yeah, like, um, and <laughs> it's pretty clear that this has always been sort of. I just talking about this happening back then because um, the the famous instance of this happening in recent times is Arlen Specter, who switched pr- parties in the quote correct direction in the late aughts <laughs> from being a Republican to being a Democrat. Um, right. Since the way the winds were blowing. 
Yeah, no shit. And so like this is it's an obvious, obvious outcome of what I would think as like a political system where in the past people were flexible about their the word that identified them and cleaved more right. closely to their political ideology as such as it is in America, their coherent mm-hmm. ideological, I guess, bent and also their personal policy peeves, as is made clear in this episode. Today, mm-hmm. like... I couldn't see it happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's quite obvious that this guy's an analog for conservative like, like you, Joe, Joe Manchin. Your Le- your Joe Liebermans or your Joe Manchin. Exactly. The, all the Joes. Yeah. Otherwise <laughs> it always a Joe. <laughs> um yeah, and, and so the, what's funny is Josh and Leo basically have a back and forth discussing this guy that is an equivalent for many of the arguments I've heard about Manchin or Lieberman back in the day where uh, Josh is like, this guy fucking sucks. He, he screwed us up on the stimulus bill like last time and now he's screwing us up here because he like and fuck him like he's not even loyal to us. Fuck him. And and uh, and Leo comes back with, well, you know, he's a conservative Democrat in Idaho. He's the only guy who can win there. So and we need him. What can you do? And and it's basically, and they have the round and round and Josh decides to force the issue in retrospect. He should have just given him the pork barrel project and it all would have worked out. But also I kind of think ripping the bandaid is the better term, better solution long-term where he fuck fine. Fuck this guy. Let's stop counting on him in our constituency and we give him go build a better one. That that will be able to accomplish things because which ties into the other thing of the episode, which is they're all fucking upset about approval numbers because they can't accomplish anything. Yeah. So I think in this in this case, you're absolutely right, because frankly, if if the short term solution is to give him the project, basically, he has now learned that you will do that because he'll get whatever you want from now on and now what's funny is this is how it actually works in real life with joe manchin where now he is effectively dictating the pace of the government because he gets whatever he wants yeah and so where i think the contradiction then comes in is that had they just said i don't know fuck off dude or whatever they are also unwilling to commit to the actual solution which is to find a better fucking democrat to run to beat Idaho. him to yeah to beat his ass when yeah. he goes to run as a republican yeah uh yeah so it's 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 very frustrating it's it's an interesting because it does have all these mansion-esque analogies that make it omnipresent and since the show talks about politics and so many of these issues are sort of never fully dealt with it it has this way of echoing even in our present that we've marked remarked on many times before yeah but i think i think that's the big thing the only thing that impressed me about this episode because otherwise this episode is fucking awful let's right. be clear uh, yeah There's... like we're not trying to praise it or anything it's a structural mess and it's mostly a bunch of bullshit but this this part is at least interesting to think about on a, on a more academic level like we're doing. Well, 
Also, I think so. Let's, you know, if we have the presupposition that an entire generation of political operatives were trained on this show and like to think of the government. <laughs> trained wrong as, as a joke. <laughs> well, and, and like to think of government function and politics and power flowing in the way that it does in this show, it, it immediately puts to lie their presumed um, professional like qualification because basically this issue was put out in this way there is what would be and is intended by the writing to be interpreted as like a shocking gut punch just miserable Mm -hmm. denouement with this guy Mm -hmm. and nobody bothered to remember or learn from it Mm -hmm. clear we, we have an entire generation of operators who saw this in a framework that they were used to and absorbing in their younger days if you will and then just said and no, no. All they, all they picked up from it was the aesthetic qualities of like, yep. oh, I just want to wear suits and walk around the White House. I want a cool mustache. He's got a cool mustache. We'll do we'll do a walk and talk. Yeah. Doesn't the, matter. Doesn't matter what we talk about. It's just that we're walking and talking in, <laughs> well, in the White House. Isn't it fucking cool? Well, and you were we're starting to segue and I think it's a really good segue into basically governance by approval rating, which mm-hmm. is another thing that comes up in this fucking episode. Mm-hmm. Where yep. they they're all they, concerned about the fucking dropping approval ratings because uh, apparently economy bad now. You know, in the last episode they were talking about the bagel, aka the recession, and mm-hmm. I guess it's it's now hit, uh, and and jobs are hemorrhaging, and and you know economic numbers are bad, and his approval numbers are dropping, particularly in like handles economy. And all these, you know, key things that they that they're so concerned about because God, this show loves polling. Yeah, and they make a very big point of saying specifically that Abby, the first lady, is polling well ahead of right of Bar- eleven points <laughs> higher, which allows her to accomplish her objective in this episode, which is to fund. And I, I'm not going to go into it more than this, but I do love this <laughs> detail. She gets more funding for violence prevention because of what happened with Zoe, obviously. But at the expense of pulling it from the CDC's global pandemic funding. (laughs) 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 Motherfucking Abby (laughs) ruined the COVID response because she's worried about her goddamn daughter. Uh, yep. (laughs) Well, and it's so, and again, we see this, I think it is a broader idea of a zero-sum style of governance that we can't that we can't fund both you you just can't do more money yeah easily we're talking about like 200 million mil anytime we're talking about some on the west wing that starts with the letter m like just fucking fund it (laughs) jesus christ are you kidding me i think in this episode some character says it's a drop in the bucket if it's yeah. that much money. Yeah, well, I think Ed or Larry or something, something like, yes. that, like that when they're talking about, yeah, because it's, yeah, because it goes up from, like, the budget goes from up from 100 million to 200 million. It's like, in the federal <laughs> budget, do you know how fucking little that is? That's, oop, I found a dime in the couch here. We can fund both. <laughs> well, and so, and it goes back to, like, the approval rating thing where it's like, it is presumed that you can't do anything to accrue goodwill more in the direction of the goodwill that you have, for example, as no, a Democrat. No, the only thing that increases their approval rating is shit like the Zoe saga, which happened to them. 
you know, like, oh, now their approval rating is up because the country loves them because they went through an ordeal. The, the, the idea of, we'll, we'll make legislation and it will make our approval rating go up is alien to them. And also, like, they, they it, only... Instead, f- it's, it's the, the, the tail wags the dog, where they can't do legislation because approval rating too low. Yeah, and I think in what's unspoken is that the only thing that they could do is compromise with the Republicans to get more Republicans on board with approving of them. Where And again, this is another thing that is still happening. It is literally, it could be happening today. You watch this and you say, oh, well, you know, um, whatever, Democratic Party approval rating sucks, but we can't possibly do more stuff that is quite nominally and actually not in actuality, quote, democratic policies because it will further alienate the Republicans. It's like, I, it's just incredible how nothing has changed. <laughs> yeah. It, sad, sadly, yes. In, in some ways, many things are different, like the idea of a Democrat switching to a Republican these days. But in some ways, a lot of these issues are still exactly the same. Well, and I also, so while, while you mentioned that, I mean, again, worthy of a brief derail, I think the what countervails that today is a much broader assumption of your identity as a word party. Like it is, right. no, I am, I'm sorry, I am a Democratic senator from West Virginia. Like, I am not a Republican. And that is much more important and I think critical to these individuals, I will be honest, today than it used to be. I mean, you had people switching parties, not super frequently, but... Sure. Often it, enough. It happened recently enough. Or even, you know, even something like Bernie, who is independent but caucuses with the Democrats, and in theory could switch to caucus with the Republicans. In practice, obviously, never would. But, like, you know, you, you things like that were more common even just, like, 20, 25 years ago. Well, and I think um, kind of as, like, what's really interesting is that Arlen Specter himself, the the quintessential party-flipping guy, he was a Democrat from 1951 to 1965 when, and I would argue that... Like a Dixiecrat. Exactly, and I would argue that 1965 is when that momentum really started to build towards the Southern Mm -hmm. strategy, which he then flipped to Republican. And then he switched back to the Democrats. In, like, the 90s when he, you know, correctly realized that, you know, they were becoming the corporate conservative party and the Republican Party was just becoming the religious wacko party. One of my, one of Emma's friends from college worked for him, like, in his staff in a Pittsburgh office when the switch happened. And, like, I just remember it was absolutely fascinating for somebody who at the time cared a lot more about electoralism to, to sure. like, hear about this stuff. But... Yeah, this happened frequently enough that it wasn't a big thing. Nowadays, it's so caught up in your identity and it, your brand. I really, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I think that's the big thing is like people are their brand a lot more in these like Twitter marketing focused days, where yeah, and Democrat or Republican becomes part of that brand, and and, and you can't rip it off. And I think. Even as people hoot and holler about polarization more and more, the core fundamentals of the nominal two parties are more identical now than ever. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely, but it's it's the the flavors are so much more polarized, and I I think that's actually really it's, it's interesting. The culture the culture war bullshit is exactly. I think that that in itself is what's really fascinating to me is that functionally there is almost no difference, but perceptually right. it is so massive. The core policy is getting closer and closer between the two, but yeah, the functional aesthetic perceptual difference is vast yeah yeah it's a really interesting kind of how our system of government has both evolved and stagnated at the same time which is a great description of west wing in general perfect (laughs) yes evolving stagnantly (laughs) practical idealism yes there it is (laughs) bold moderation I believe was the quote yes, from the Biden today, administration. Yeah, just, just came out today. <sighs> Old moderation. Uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and discuss a couple other minor subplots in this episode, and then wrap up. Now I sit by my window and I watch the cars. I fear I'll do some damage one fine day. But I would not be convicted by jury of my peers. Still crazy after all these years. But still crazy. Still crazy. Still crazy after all these years. And welcome back. Uh, in the notes, you PM'd me before we started that, uh, Boy, this episode is fucking awful. Sharp, sharp swings in characters' personalities, weird bad calls being made constantly, and my favorite phrase, self-dick-stepping. <laughs> it's just... Uh, and a whole lot of that all across the board here. I mean, it's just... It's absolutely wild, and we've been talking throughout this season as we started of being like, okay, cool. So we've kind of... Um, uh, like we're recapitulating the idea of the yeah. show with a new writing staff. There's been a they've, traumatic they've change. Dealt with, they, they've dealt with the grenade that got thrown into their lap. Yep. Now they're, they're, they're past that. We're back onto the regular track at this point. You don't have that excuse anymore. So now let's, what are your takes on these characters? And the answer is shockingly incoherent. And I think more than anything, they're really just ramping up the use of characters as convenient to just like without any fidelity to what their initial characterization is. And in this episode, particularly, I think the most egregious one is Leo. Mm-hmm. Leo. He just becomes like a fucking supervillain in this episode. He, yes. And so we, we as watchers of the show and people who are familiar what's happened with what's happening and what's going to happen can I think look back in retrospect at Leo in this episode specifically and say like, okay, I can see shades of where we're going. Leo is incredibly stressed about the administration and there are these nominal, whether they're real or not, whatever, crises that are just constantly being like dumped in his lap and whatever. And so he starts to take a more, I would say hawkish and hard line. Yes. Hard line approach. Yeah. But in this episode, it's so egregious. It is in your face all the time. Yeah, he, he's super aggressive towards CJ over this issue about an environmental report, which, uh, which says, like, coal is bad, and uh, basically they try to quash it in interest of the coal industry. 
and Leo even brings up clean coal, and CJ shoots him down with like, "Are you fucking kidding again. me? Clean coal's a god, <laughs> a goddamn myth." Like, again, something that surprisingly has not fucking ever changed over the last twenty goddamn years. Like, yeah, oh, we're and, still hearing about fucking clean coal. Yeah, and CJ's right. Like, it's always been a myth, and we still are having this interchange. It's insane. Yeah. And then, uh, my favorite thing is Leo counters back with like, "Well, then what's your idea?" And I'm like, "Fuck, like fuck you, Leo. Like go ask the NEA or go ask the energy department. Go at, like surely someone in there has has an idea and if you don't get working on one." Yeah, Leo, Twitter won't exist for another 4 years. You need to dial back your Twitter blue blue yeah. dam- like blue maga style here. Like energy. this is bullshit. Yeah. The Yeah. Like, and so he is just aggro the whole time. He's authoritarian, sort of like unilaterally declaring all these things. And what I think is really interesting is that he interacts with the president himself quite in a quite limited fashion in this episode. Mm-hmm. He is seen, we don't see Bartlett as often as we would normally, but Leo is seen making these diktats like almost without any juxtaposition with the present now it's understood that they yeah. obviously in the background obviously maybe they talk and they agree on things but the right. way it's presented to the audience is weird yes uh and bartlett in talking about characters acting out of character bartlett in this episode is particularly like angry and grumpy and shitty for most of it yeah what is what when his character is typically jovial and and you know even even in crisis is normally making jokes and whatnot is like he's so fucking mad at Abby and her bullshit in this episode, and he's mad about like he's just pissed for like most of it, and it's weird. They're not there's not even a war crisis happening. Yeah. So with CJ, CJ actually I think takes a stand this episode in a way that is in line with her character, but she is very put upon and. The interaction between her is I, with, with, say, for example, Leo, we'll just say it because, you know, whatever, is abnormal from how she would react to these things. I think mm-hmm. staking her or having her die on the hill of this environmental report, which, let's be clear, is very bad because the the details of it in the show, in case y'all didn't watch and I hope you didn't, um, is that the <laughs> EPA published this official government document in one form. And then somebody in the, what I'm assuming is like the OEOB or whatever, redacted the couple paragraphs about coal being incredibly deleterious to the environment, which of course it is. And Leo just goes in on CJ and says, literally says, the report reflects the administration's line. And CJ's Mm -hmm. like, well, we appoint the fucking EPA, so... Who whose line is it actually? And obviously, it's like the White House's line, um, and like gets in trouble at a press conference, and Leo yells at her, and so CJ is just getting it, just getting pounded in this episode, and it culminates it culminates in this weird thing where what's his name, uh, Ryan Pierce? Oh yeah, after trolling yeah. Josh for a little while about this shit, fucking. <laughs> goes comes in, in and comes in shoots a shot at cj <laughs> <laughs> takes a shot i love in, it in a moment of vulnerability where cj's like and she's she almost half considers it for like a moment just to show you how down she is <laughs> well it's also 
weirdly is because she's not quite old enough to be his mom i don't think (laughs) it's it's a weirdly human thing for the type of personality that you imagine ryan pierce is like overconfident 24 year old white dude like around honestly and and again outside of the workplace environment all of this shit if it was in a respectful way that you were saying hey would you like to go to this event with me? Go for it, man. I'm down. Like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know what? Cool. It's just this weird interaction of where he goes in and, like, <laughs> asks her to go to this ball, I think it is, with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the the whole arc with CJ is is strange. Uh, so we, we talk about Abby Ab- and Abby's approval rating. So Amy is actually the avatar for Abby in this episode, who is unseen. But Amy tries to go get her 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 pandemic stealing funding <laughs> approved and like potentially gets fired and like goes to Josh in and like you know is like hey Josh I had a shitty day and whatever and like and Josh immediately ignores her and makes it about <laughs> it's him. like yeah but it's just like let's talk about my let's talk about my thing uh. instead <laughs> and uh, in fact, castrates her for like trying to get a puff piece written about him. <laughs> uh, which would what this BS about like oh, it's not about us, you know? We none of us take credit. We don't. We don't. You know, take a victory lap or whatever. It's like <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, horseshit, dude. You're you're a press <laughs> whore. You're all about that. <laughs> yeah, and and so uh, the the uh, Bartlett basically ends up getting mad enough at Amy that Amy is going to resign. Like he he gets worked the fuck up because of this because it's yeah, 49 Like I said, he's just he's super angry this episode for no reason. Well, and I think you're meant to understand it as being it's driven by the 49% thing. Sure, but it's that's completely kind of we've had episodes before where their approval rating is slipping or slipping like is 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 even worse we, yeah we've and he's had been it. fine yeah and it's so it's just so incongruous he usually would like make a crack about well most people don't hear don't think I'm doing a good job what do you think about that Charlie and then like and Charlie would say something funny and then he put his coat over his jacket and they go do a thing yeah exactly and. So all of this characterization is just completely muddled up in this episode. And I'm just, it is so striking that Leo is as bad because it's, I mean, yes, we have had hardliner Leo in military situations. Before. Military context yeah. is, is one thing, but he's acting like his military self, even when it comes to this, like the coal thing. And like it's weird in that context. Yeah, it's one thing when he's hardline about like, no, you got to go in there with the men and the troops and bomb the brown people. But like, it's different when he's doing it with the with the staffers. And then he, <laughs> you wrote it in your notes. Is there's a line where somebody, I think it's CJ, says we're here to serve the country. CJ. And Leo's response is, "We are the country." Oh. <laughs> What what like a Bond supervillain line? <laughs> well, it's literally let that say moi. You know, it's 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 Louis the Sixteenth here. It's like what the fuck, dude? Some let them eat cake shit, Leo. Like like when did Leo turn into like Doctor Evil? <laughs> yeah. So there's a little bit of I think a little the the Toby bit where he's interacting with Will about taking this promotion. Mm-hmm. 
is... He takes it way too hard. Yeah, and I get, again, being motivated by thinking that you are now in crisis. This amplifies your more negative personality traits, perhaps, but it's still... I guess... It's still they've somewhat been, they, incongruous. I guess, you know why it feels weird? Because they've just suffered through a much worse crisis. Mm. And then suddenly acting like 49% approval and a slightly bad economy is like an even bigger crisis than the Zoe kidnapping and a different president. Yeah, and that's I think, interesting I think too. that's part of it too. I think we needed a little time to breathe before a new crisis emerged. Yeah, it was almost, if you're going to do what we call like a bottle episode, why wouldn't you do a bottle episode of like some normal ass shit happening? Mm-hmm. Just like. Uh, what's sad is I think that this, that's what this is an oh, attempt no. at. Is, <laughs> yeah, I know. I think, I think this is their attempt at like those episodes we talked about in the first four seasons where like sort of nothing would happen, but it was more kind of like a day in the life style episodes. But those always had a lot more. I don't know, charm to them. At least the characters were consistent. Yeah. And uh, again, because we, we had been, we had been describing this phenomenon in the past as the writers taking their time to make a real effort at, again, sort of recentering the show and bringing it back to earth. And it is, it's unfortunate. And as we all kind of know how this goes, it's unfortunate that this is what that looks like. Like I think you said, Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. just it's too bad. Yeah, I I think they think they nailed it. Mm. Like, ah, oh, we got one of those day in the life, you know, <laughs> how the sausage is made episodes. Fucking boom, nailed it in the can. And I think if they had achieved that with a bunch of like no name NPC types going around delivering these messages, sure. But while you are doing it, you are obliterating certain consistent personality traits. Of these mm-hmm. staff members, <laughs> like, right, which is what the people like. And, you know, if nothing else, like, you could get rid of the government and just watch these characters go do something, like, run a bar or mm-hmm. whatever. And it would still be an entertaining <laughs> show because we enjoy the character dynamic and whatnot. But if, yeah, if you start fucking with the character dynamic, then you're taking away the core of the enjoyability. And, and a lot of the serialization that we've really tried hard to build up. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, a couple other minor things I just wanted to get in real quick. Uh, at one point, there's a random extra in Amy's office who's like, hey, nice profile, Josh. And I'm like, why does this random extra get a speaking line all, all of a sudden? I guess this guy just wanted his SAG card. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's an extra $400 a day when you're on set, yeah. baby. Yeah, you got to pay the extra a lot more when they talk. <laughs> And I, it's just so weird. It, like, you never see him again, and it's just a one-line thing. It's just, it caught my eye for some reason. Yeah, that was um, kind of like a, a D-plot of this whole thing, is there, Josh had an article written about him that mm-hmm. got a lot of coverage or something. Oh, The 101st Senator. Oh, is, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Is how they refer to him, because he, like, <laughs> d- does his magic in the Senate. Exactly, and it's set, it sets up very nicely with the contrast with Tom Skerritt literally losing them a Senate vote forever. <laughs> yeah, so, like I said, that part of it is thematically played well, and, and the gut punch uh, rolling into the birthday celebration is the only bit of this episode that actually works yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, for at least the humorous tonal whiplash that we get there. 
But yeah, that, that's pretty much all I have to say about this one. This is a stinker. Please skip, just yeah. like most of season five. <laughs> if it's too late, I'm sorry. Welcome to our world. Um, but don't watch this episode. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much it for today. Um, oh, I did, I did want to note. I want to note that Tom Scarrett went to Wayne State University. What up, Warriors? That's my dad's alma mater. <laughs> He's from, oh, awesome. he's from Detroit, Michigan. Um, so awesome. He's a cool dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. I enjoyed all of any of the time of the episode where he was on screen because it made me think of Top Gun subconsciously. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, this is great. This is now full, overflowing with charisma. Now. Ken- Kenny Loggins started playing in the back of my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, and honestly, between him and Gary Cole... It's like, yeah, they're, we got a machismo party here. And, and they're knocking it out of the park as these guests are. Because, oh, the other thing to note is that um, uh, Mary Louise Parker is now like six, seven months pregnant while they're oh. filming this. So you can you can okay. see uh, it. They're they're starting. To, they're starting to hide. Yes, you can <laughs> see it in how it's in how it's shot. And also, like, I mean, my, my wife says it every time. She's like. You know, Amy's boobs are getting bigger. It's just like, oh, okay. I, I did notice that, but I didn't want to mention <laughs> oh, no. it or write a note about and it. <laughs> we are, no, note to the audience, we are not male gazing this. We are just stating for the record that uh, Look, Mary Lee it's an Parker, objective fact. <laughs> yes, was very pregnant at this point, which I think this may be, or the next one is her last appearance. Oh, Wow. Well, uh, we will we will see, and we will discuss that when we get to that on uh, here on the Worst Wing. In the meantime, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back uh, another time to discuss the next episode. As always, you can drop a line in our threads, or if you found the show a different way, hello, welcome, and you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. <laughs> Which is always nice. So thanks for listening. And everyone stay safe and have fun. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on.